slowly working our way through this letter that Paul writes called Galatians. It's going to take about 12 weeks. It's going to lead us right up to Christmas, which is cool. You don't need to buy a nativity calendar this year, right? Every week we should just put a little piece of chocolate. You can come, go a little bit through Galatians, and lead us right up to Christmas. And you'll know when it's Christmas, as if, as if uh, Costco didn't already tell you. Right? Uh, Galatians is an awesome letter. It's one of Paul's first letters that he wrote uh, very early. And essentially what happens is on Paul's first missionary journey, he does three uh, missionary journeys. But the first one, you can read about it in, uh, in the book of Acts. It's in the Bible. It's uh, chapter 13 and 14. You'll see that he travels around. He goes through the center of uh, Asia Minor in this region. Uh, it's not just one city. It's a whole region of cities in modern-day Turkey called Galatia. And he, he preaches the gospel. He goes, just like Christ Safari goes, and he, and he shares with them the gospel of grace, of, of who Jesus is, of what Jesus did, what Jesus promised. And, he, and, he, and he's very passionate about it, and he sees fruit. People come to know Jesus through his ministry. And when he leaves, some other people come in behind him, which is often the case, right? It's human nature. It's isn't a perfect world. And they're called the Judaizers. That's what he calls them. The Judaizers, what they essentially do is they come and they say, hey, Paul, who's Paul? He wasn't even one of the 12 disciples, right? You don't need to listen to him, right? And his gospel was too weak. It was watered down. There's more to it that you need to know. And, the, and, and you need to listen to us. And Paul writes this letter, a very stern letter, saying, no. I can't believe you guys are even listening to that. But on what basis is he able to do that? That's what chapter 1 is kind of about. That's where we're at. So as you guys turn to Galatians chapter 1, I just want to ask this question. And this is one of those, sometimes I ask you uh, uh, like a, a reflective question. This is like a reflective question where you can actually give some input. Right? We can have a conversation here. And it's this. What is the difference between behavior modification and gospel transformation? You guys ever think about that? What's the difference? Give me some input. Have you guys seen this? Is there no difference? What's the difference? Behavior modification. What is that? Gospel transformation. What is that? What's the difference? Any thoughts? Don? One comes from the flesh or our own personal effort. One comes from the spirit. It's what God does in us. Very good. Very good. Yes? Well, one would reflecting on our own sinfulness and repentance. So... Which one would you say reflecting on, on, on which? Well, we first have to acknowledge that we're sinful. Amen. Unclean. Yeah. And then we come to repentance and turning around. So, so rather, than, rather than trying to change ourselves through behavior modification, we go to Him, we repent, we turn to Him, and we ask Him to help us. Only, through, through, only through God, the Holy Spirit. You bet. I love it. I love it. That's great. Good input. Yes. I think with self-reflection... experience that, right? You go through life and you go like, I don't like who I am right now. And you want to change. Or people don't seem to like me very much when you're in junior high, right? Better change, right? Better change the way I dread. Better, Mom, I need cool clothes, right? We, we try to change ourselves as kids and as adults, but, but when God comes and, and, and does the change, it's real. Have you guys ever tried really hard to change and, and, and then came back empty? Yeah, it, 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 it's frustrating. Yeah, did you have something yet? One's temporary and one's eternal. Awesome. Very good. Yes? Kind of like your intention and motivation for change. One being centered towards you getting a better result in life versus the other gospel-centered means 
right, right. I want to change because because I want people to accept me versus I want to change because of, of just, just how wowed I am by the love of God, right? Yeah. Amen. Awesome input, you guys. This is why Paul is so passionate. This is the issue. He's, Paul has come and he said, look, God radically changed my life. I just want to tell everybody now. He radically changed my life. I was, a Jude, I was one of the Judaizers. I was chief of the Judaizers. I followed God with all of my heart the best that I could. I followed the traditions of the fathers. I studied under Gamaliel. I learned what, what it looks like to be like the best Jewish guy ever. And it, it was empty. And then this guy met me. His name was Jesus. He met me on the road to Damascus. Changed my life forever. I want to tell everyone about it. He goes and he's telling everyone about it. And it's taking root. And they're, and they're starting to get it. The gospel is beginning to bring transformation. You can imagine how much frustration he has to hear that they're going back to the emptiness. That's what this letter is founded on. That's what we're going to be looking at. Yesterday we were at a youth conference with some of our youth leaders. I love our youth ministry. Buy a ticket for the spaghetti dinner. Last plug. They're $10. And uh, God bless you. But we're at this conference. It's a great conference. Um, and this guy says something that I thought was just profound. And just I, I haven't been able to get it out of my mind. He goes like this. He goes, you can't have a relationship with a fake person. That's all he said. Have you ever had that? Where like something, something like you know this guy, he kind of gets in you and you're just chewing on it. And I thought, it's true. You can't have a relationship with a fake person. And I would add, you can't have a relationship with a dead person. And I would add, you can't have a relationship with a set of beliefs. And I would add, you can't have a relationship with a set of rules and regulations and traditions that you have to follow. You can form a group around that. You can form a group of people around that. You call it whatever you want. You call it church. You call it a religious organization formed around a set of beliefs or a dead person or a, a make-believe person even for some, right? Or, 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 or all of those things. But they're just empty. That's, that's, by definition, empty religion. But you can form a movement around a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's completely different. It's radically different. So in, in the beginning of Galatians, he goes, I can't believe you guys are turning to this different gospel, which isn't even a good news at all. Of, of, of going back to, and they're saying you need to be circumcised, and you need to follow these religious rules, you need Jesus plus, you need all these other things, you need behavior modification. More than just this relationship. And so it's a, it's a deep, awesome, heartfelt letter, and very relevant for us. And I want to walk through that a little bit today, a little deeper into this. So, so basically these Judaizers come, and they're saying Paul's message was too weak, you, there's more to it, and we're think you guys are lucky we're here. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna teach you get, help you get a little deeper. We're gonna teach you the truth, right? And and, and and say you need to be circumcised. You need to follow the religious laws, which evidently it was more than just what you eat. It was also who you eat with, and all kinds of rules you need to follow. And they base this on 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 trying to negate Paul's authority. By, by questioning who he even is. They go, who's this Paul guy? He wasn't even one of the 12 disciples. Paul is a fraud. Paul is just trying to be somebody. He came to you, and he's just trying to make a name for himself with you guys. You don't have to listen to him. So Paul comes back and, and responds to this. Look at him starting in verse 10. He goes like this. 
goes, for am I now seeking the approval of man? You can see, like, oh, he's just trying to please somebody. Oh, am I trying to, am I trying to <laughs> please man? Or am I trying to please God? Right? For, for, he goes, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And then he goes on in verse 11, he goes, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. This is a profound theological statement. In theology, we would call what Paul just said, he said this is what we call specific revelation. He's claiming to have specific revelation. God has revealed who he is specifically through, through Paul. That's what he's claiming. There's a thing called general revelation. What general revelation is, is very simple too. It's just a big term that understands anybody can watch the sunset and know that there's a God. You can look at creation and we know it just screams that there's design. And when there's design, there has to be a designer. Somebody who has a personality who could, who could plan that out and design that. We, we, we can know some things about God just by looking at creation, our conscience, within ourselves. We have an innate uh, understanding, a basic understanding of what, what's right and what's wrong. That was put in us by somebody. We can look at, at who we are and what we see, and we can know that there is a God. But we might not be able to know who that God is. We might not be able to get very far, so the idea of specific revelation is that God has come and specifically said, this is who I am. He's made himself known to us. It's specific revelation. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, Jesus met me on the road to Damascus, and he revealed Jesus to me and revealed this gospel to me. I'm not just telling you... Uh, a gospel of man. I didn't learn this from Peter. I didn't read this in a book. I didn't, I didn't sit on a log and think through it. Jesus told me. It was revealed to me by God. And if this is true, this is very powerful. And that's what he's saying is, is are you going to listen to what these guys are saying? Or are you going to listen to what God told me to tell you? It's not my message. I'm just, I'm just the messenger. Is what he's saying. So I want to look a little bit today at some things about this amazing, these scriptures, this, this specific revelation. We believe that, that all 66 of books of the Bible are, are specific revelation. An agnostic would say, and this is a popular, uh, a growing, very growing popularity in America. People are agnostic. I believe in God, but, but an agnostic is somebody who, who, who believes, yeah, there probably is a God, but if there is a God, we can't really know who he is, so I don't think about it too much. Don't put too much weight into it, right? Uh, Brad Pitt is a, is a stated agnostic. God is probably out there, but he, if he is out there, I can't really know him, so I'm not going to worry about it, is what he says, right? Agnostic. That's only true if general revelation is all we have. But if we have specific revelation from a God in 66 books is what we're claiming in the scripture, then we can know God, and we'll have no excuse. We, we don't need to be agnostic. We can know God because he's chosen to make himself known to us. So here's some things. First of all, you know, we're going to get into a little bit of theology today. Uh, is what, does the, what do the scriptures say about the scriptures? My, our goal today, and I think what, is, what, what Paul's goal in Galatians 1 is he wants to increase your confidence that you can know the truth. We're, we're not just 
just taking Paul's word for it, is what we're saying. It's not just your word against my word. It's not just one person's word against the other word. It's not just Paul's word against the Judaizers. This is a revelation from God, who is an authority. So the Bible, the scriptures say about the scriptures, number one, the scriptures say in the scriptures that the scriptures reveal God's plan for salvation. In 2 Timothy 3, 15-17, I'll read it and we'll see this. Paul's talking to Timothy, says, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Right? He's saying from the time you were a child, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the scriptures. What is he talking about? He's probably talking about all of the Old Testament, but also at this time, this is later on, he's probably talking about like like some of the Gospels that are already circulating, some of the letters that are already circulating, and they're and they're seeing like the apostles are what the apostles are saying. In Acts 2, it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. That's what he's talking about. Timothy was around that. He's like, from, from childhood, you, you've been you've, you've been around these scriptures, you've been taught these scriptures, and what do they teach you? They teach you about salvation. All of the Bible, all 66 books work together and it's, it, it teaches you, it reveals God's plan for salvation. Reveals God's plan for salvation. He says it's to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. What does this mean? Another theological word. It means that the, it talks about the sufficiency of Scripture. The sufficiency of Scripture means simply this. It means in Scripture, we've been, we've been, God's revealed everything that we need to know in order to become a follower of Jesus, in order to, to, uh, to live for Jesus. And in order to keep growing in Jesus, we have the Scriptures, and they're sufficient. We don't need the Judaizers we, we just need the scriptures. We need what, what's in the Bible. We need to be biblical. We don't need to go to some conference somewhere where someone comes and goes, I got the new revelation from God. This, this conference, come to this conference, get this, get, let me impart to you some spiritual blessing or, or all those things. I'm not saying that we shouldn't go to conferences and, and that there's some value maybe in some of those things, although we need to be cautious. But anybody who says that the scriptures aren't sufficient and that we need their product, be weary. The scriptures are sufficient. Also, we see in number two in your notes is this. The scriptures claim that they were written by men, but inspired by God. They were written by men, and they were inspired by God. Now, this shouldn't, this shouldn't alarm us. This should just tell us about the heart of God, doesn't it? This tells us about the heart of God in this. God doesn't just, just like do stuff. He invites us to partner with him in what he does. And the scriptures reflect that. That they're written by men, but they're inspired by God. In 2 Peter 1.21, we have a text for this. It says, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Not, a, not an accurate prophecy, because a prophecy is man speaking God's words. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, what it's saying is men used their own personalities, and they wrote, they wrote the men were writing... But God was involved. He was inspiring them. He was carrying them along. I like to look at it like this. God was there and he was making sure that they didn't say anything that they weren't supposed to. And they didn't leave out anything that, was, that, was, that he wanted them to say. He was, he was carrying them along. 
Jesus promised this, this would happen at the end of Luke. He goes, I'm going to leave, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, and it's going to remind you of everything I taught, the things that I taught. And that's exactly what you see happen. He comes to the apostles, he goes, remember when I said this? Remember when I did this? Remember when I did this? And they wrote it down. He reminded them, the Holy Spirit carried them along, reminded them what he said, just like Jesus promised. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit, the scriptures would, 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 would be uh, 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 re, uh, uh, inspired and written down. And this was accomplished in many ways, right? Different personalities. Not everybody wrote the same. Some people wrote historical books. Luke goes, I, I just went and I talked to everybody and I got the account, right? And other, other people, like Paul says, God gave it to me directly and I wrote it down, right? Uh, John in Revelation goes, this is what I, he, he showed me these visions and I'm writing them down. Lots of different ways. That's what the Bible says about itself. In Hebrew 1.1, it says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he spoke to us by his son, whom he appointed the heirs of all things, through whom also he created the world. So it was written by men. I know there's a lot of theology, guys, but a lot of uh, questions I've been getting about this, and when you teach through the Bible, this is what you do. You just go where it leads you, right? So I think it's, it's valuable to look at these things. Uh, also, we learn about the, what Scripture reveals about Scripture is that God's Word carries God's authority. God's Word carries God's authority. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Wayne Grudem says, like this, a great uh, theologian, wrote a book called Systematic Theology. If you guys have a podcast, by the way, just a little plug, um, it's a free thing. You can go on your podcast app, and you can search uh, Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. His whole Systematic Theology is for free. You can listen to it on your way to the car. It's fantastic. I encourage you to do that if you're more interested in some of this stuff. But he says this about the authority of God. He says, this is what it means. Plain and simple. All the words in the Bible are God's words. Therefore, to disbelieve or disobey them is to disbelieve or disobey God himself. No wonder people want to debunk the Bible. No wonder people go to great lengths to, to come up with reasons why you shouldn't believe the Bible. Maybe, maybe there's some, some maybe the Bible is just it's just man's words, right? Because then you're not accountable to it. Then you don't have, there's no authority. Then when I just do whatever I want to do, I don't have to at the end of the day go, I just disobeyed God all day. You don't you don't have to you don't have to, to face that. But, but it doesn't, the scriptures and, and, and history and, and just good science and just good scholarship doesn't allow you to do that. I want to look at that a little bit more. Here's three, and I, this is just uh, scratching the surface, I, I understand that, but here's the three top uh, asked questions that I get about the scriptures. I want to cover with you guys a little bit. Who decided what books are in the Bible? Like, why do I need to believe the Bible, right? Like, who did... Who, who even decided which 66 books were in there? It's a good question, but it has good answers. 
There's, a, there's, there's the Old Testament canon. The canon means read. That's the, the, what, what the, the, uh, the word is translated as read. It's like a measuring stick or ruler. It's how do, how do they uh, measure the scriptures and decide what goes in there. There's 39 books in the Old Testament, right? Real quickly. Moses wrote the first five. They're called the Pentateuch or the Torah. Everybody, it was Moses. They all just believed it, right? And then Joshua wrote a book. And then the king started writing down historical books. Right? And the, and, the pro, and the prophets came along and they wrote down, and, and, and the prophets were judged by everybody if the things came true. And the kings, I mean, they, you could just watch their life and say, was he credible? Right? And so what you see in this Old Testament canon is over time, and with a lot of scrutiny, these 39 books withstood the test of time. It was a very natural process in some ways, meaning they didn't just sit down one day and say, which books are we going to pick? You can find times when, when they kind of did that, but that wasn't when it, that, they were just affirming what was already authoritative. It was a very natural process that God was in control of the whole time. That's what you see. Matter of fact, when, when you look, read through the New Testament, 295 times they're quoted in these Old Testament scriptures. Right? The New Testament affirms the Old Testament. Jesus affirmed the Old Testament. He quoted it. He talked about the law and the prophets. Right? Jesus affirmed the Old Testament. It, it, just, it just came. What about extra books, you might ask? Like, like uh, the Catholics have extra books. They have First and Second Maccabees. They have the Apocrypha. That, that was affirmed in like the 1500s AD. I don't know if you knew that. That was never uh, considered authoritative until Martin Luther came in with the Reformation and started saying, no, you guys are, are, are kind of going off from, from what the Bible says. They say, no, we're going to add these extra books because they kind of they, they, they validate some of the things. There's some things in there that are valuable, historical lessons about the Maccabees. They're great stories. But there's some problems in there. Even most Catholics, don't, don't, they, they look at them as the, the lesser, uh, with lesser authority. We don't, we don't look at those. There's 39 books. Those aren't part of them. They're just valuable. The New Testament comes along. How did that get affirmed? Same thing, natural process. If they're all associated, they're all written by people who, who directly saw Jesus and, 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 and spent time with Jesus, right? Matthew and John and Peter were all part of his 12 disciples. They wrote two of the Gospels and then two of the letters. And then along comes, uh, you got the Gospel of Mark. Uh, history records that Mark was one of Peter's followers. He just wrote down what Peter was saying. It's the Gospel of Peter. Right? Luke. Luke was a, a, a Gentile doctor that was a missionary with all these guys. He states, I went and I interviewed all these people. And, and, and I asked them what happened and I wrote it down. Paul and Timothy, Paul affirms Luke's gospel. It's affirmed within itself. Right? James and Jude were Jesus' brothers. Pretty good. He had a pretty good uh, closeness to Jesus. Right? John wrote, first, second, third, John and Revelation plus the Gospel of John. All these books are associated. Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it, but we know it was the early church that it was either Paul or, or Barnabas or Apollos, that's what they think. And it's so good, and it doesn't contradict anything else in the New Testament that they kept it in there. Right? And all along, these people believed these, the text. It was, it was canonized until around like 367, I think it was. This guy writes a letter, one of the church fathers, and he affirms these 27 books officially. That's not who decided, not that guy. He was saying, let, let me just say what everyone already knows, right? They had believed it all along. The Bible is a natural, very natural process. Uh, and, it, and, it's, and, it, and it's, it's been affirmed all along. It wasn't just a group of guys one day that got together and said, let's trick everybody and put these together. It was, it, was, it was over time. The other thing that people will ask is, hasn't the Bible changed over time? 
right? How can we know that, that it is? Um, it's a very um, popular uh, uh, statement to make. It's completely erroneous. History doesn't allow you to think that. It's as if, it's as if like, we're, we're completely in the dark ages and we don't have any history to record it, to believe that. I'm just telling you and being honest. Okay? There's early manuscripts, thousands of them. You can go back and look at what the early manuscripts that we know were written right around the time of Jesus, and we can compare what we have today, and it's the same. Plus, archaeologists keep discovering things. They keep discovering, like, the Dead Sea Scrolls, and we know those are old. We go back and we go, there's no changes. How can there be changes if there's no changes? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> right? It just doesn't make sense. It's people trying to say, uh, just like the Judaizers, like, don't believe have to believe the scriptures. Here's an excuse. And if you don't investigate it yourself, you might believe it. But it, you shouldn't believe it. That's what I'm saying. It's erroneous. Is the Bible true? You ever wonder that? Okay, well, maybe, maybe, maybe they were wrong then. Way back then, is it erroneous? John's, uh, John 17, 17, Jesus is praying. He says, Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is true. Jesus said the Bible's true. The word is true. What does that mean? It, this is what it means. It means every word of the Bible, every word of the Bible is truthful in what it intends to say. That means that you need to look at it in context. I'll give you an example. How many of you guys would believe me if I said, the Bible says that there is no God? Raise your hand if you believe that the Bible says that. Raise, raise your hand if you believe that the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible does say that. It says it in Psalm 14.1. I'll quote it right now. It says, there is no God. You can go and look at it right now. You only can look at the, the second half of the verse. The first half of the verse says, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. Right? But you can look at it in context. Not every word of the Bible is just piece it together is true. It's what it intends to say. That's true. Also, John Frame is a great theologian. He says, he brought this to my attention through my reading his words. He says, there's a difference between uh, uh, inerrancy and precision. The Bible's aim is not always precision. And this is what it means. When you look at the Bible, and people will argue this. The Bible's not precise, right? Because in, uh, in Matthew and in Mark, they record a parable that Jesus teaches. And they say, they say, uh, in the parable, it uses the analogy of the mustard seed, and it says right there, it says, the smallest seed. Well, wait, wait a minute, that's not the smallest seed, right? All you got to do is look at science, that's not the smallest seed. The parable is not about affirming the size of the seed. <laughs> Parables were a short story, it was a Jewish rabbi thing, a short story that all the people, basic people, regular everyday people would understand with a bigger meaning. The bigger meaning is true. Jesus is not trying to give you a scientific uh, uh, lesson about seeds. He's trying to teach you something else. And what he's trying to teach you is true. It's inerrant, but not precise. You can find lots of imprecisions, and you can find lots of out-of-context uh, contradictions, but if you study it with, with, uh, with integrity, you're, you're not going to find it. The Bible is inerrant. I'm going to move right on. We had some other things, but I just don't have time because I want to get to Paul saying. He's, he's, he's arguing this for a reason. He's saying, I, I, this is true what I'm saying. You have to, I, I, I'll give you some, some, uh, some evidence. He's going to share with you right here some, some evidence that it's true. I'll tell you why I believe this is true. But, but the weight is this. Behavior modification doesn't work. You need, you need 
to know who Jesus really is and what Jesus has done for you and what he's promised. You need to know that. How can you know that for sure? You should be confident. Because God has gone to great measure to give us a confidence to know that not only is Scripture true, but what the Scriptures say about Him is true. And it's vitally important. That's why Paul's so passionate about it. So in, in, in Galatians 1, 14 through 24, he goes like this. He goes, And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Right? I tried following all the traditions that they're trying to tell you to do. It doesn't work. Because I was really good at it, and I was empty. So it didn't work. For I did not receive. He goes, uh, I'm sorry. He goes, but when he, but, when, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Right? I didn't go and, and talk to anybody. This wasn't from man. He goes, no. Uh, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia, went into a quiet time, and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, so a long time, this wasn't like a whim, emotional thing saying. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, and remained within 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James the Lord. That's what they're saying. He, he went and talked to the apostles, and he just... He just fabricating some stuff he learned. No. He said, but I saw none other of the apostles except James, Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. He says. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, that's like far away, saying I, I was distanced from them. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorify God because of me. What Paul is doing here is he's giving a profound testimony about the gospel of transformation. And he's arguing the behavior modification is dead. Don't follow that. He's saying this is so much better. It's good news. I call it the transformative effect. And we see it in Paul. Letter A in your notes is this. We see here Paul proclaiming that the gospel changes lives. The gospel changes life. I've had people say this. I'm just, I just am the way I am. I can't change. No, the gospel can change. You can't change yourself. You can try. Right? But just give it a little bit of time. Have you ever had someone who, who they just made a bunch of promises to you? And they're good for a while. Right? And then back to their old self. Right? But the gospel actually changes lives. Paul talks about his former life. And his new life. He's comparing it here. A former life... Versus a new life. Paul claims Paul had an encounter with Jesus that changed everything. He had an encounter with Jesus. In verses 15 and, uh, and through 16 he goes, But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. He had a revelation, a fresh glimpse of who Jesus is. David Platt, a great pastor, uh, he said this. He said, 
God's revelation in the gospel not only reveals who God is, but it also reveals who we are. That's what happened on the road to Damascus, Paul said. Look, I saw Jesus. Before that, I thought I was a really good person. I thought I was a super good Jew. I was so zealous. I was following all the rules. I was doing all the stuff I was taught. I was so zealous, I was even stopping this evil force called Christianity. And then I met Jesus. And it opened my eyes. I saw that I'm going the wrong direction. I was confronted with the fact, like, I'm not as good as I thought. I'm a mess. But then Jesus told me, that's why I died. I died for you, Paul. I died because there's nothing that you can do to make yourself pleasing to me. I died because there's nothing you can do to modify your behavior and, and, and you be whole. You need a complete transformation. You need, a, you, need, you need a new life. You need a new beginning. You need a former life. That, you, you're, you're confronted with that now. You need a new life. He says we find that in Jesus. He says I found it in Jesus. And he went from persecuting to preaching. Do you see that? He was changed. It's a changed life. Paul's saying, look, I got my testimony. I'm a changed life. In letter B, we see this. We see the power of a but God. All throughout the Bible, you know what? what you know what? You know how you spell hope? You know how to spell hope? It's spelled like this. B-U-T-G-O-D. That's how you spell hope. But God, right? Yeah, okay. Let me tell you my story. Yeah, but God. Already a couple people here have come to me and say, hey, I'm out. My, my life's a mess right now. I'm here because my life's a mess today. But God. Your story can be transformed. But God. Always add but God. That's hope. And Paul says that exact phraseology. Here's what he says in Galatians 1.15. He goes, my former life. And he goes, but when he. That's a but God. Let me tell you what it was like before. But God. Now let me tell you what happened. What it's like. Here's the thing. Everyone has a former story. Everyone in here has something in common. You have a story. You have a story. I don't know what your story is. Some of you guys that do know what your story is. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter what your story is. It does matter. I mean, your story does matter. I'm not saying that. But, but, but hope comes into any story is what I'm saying. But God can, be, can, can intervene in any story. And when a but God intervenes in your story, that's gospel transformation. When, when it's a but I, but I, but I realized, no, that's behavior modification. But God. Everyone has a former story. And we see this in Paul because in verses 13 and 14, he goes, I did, I did, I did. For you have heard of my former life, how I persecuted the church. I was advancing in Judaism. I was zealous for the traditions of my father's. Then, but God, now the believer has a witness. Now it's, now it's no longer what I did, what I did. Now it's, from now on, it's what God did. That changes the story. Galatians 1.15, just one verse later. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was, revealed, was pleased to reveal his son, he set me apart. He called me. He revealed Jesus to me. It's a changed life. It's a but God. And then lastly, we see here, we see this, that the believer's life, the believer's life 
has transformed from like, just like Johanna said, from living for the glory of me to living for the glory of God. That's how Paul ends this. He goes, and they glorify God because of me. God changed my life. And they glorify God because of me. Now here's the thing. Here's the thing. What do we do from here? How does this message impact us? Don't try harder. That's not what I'm saying. Don't try harder. Behavior modification doesn't work. Here's another thing. We need to wait on God. I'm going to coin this. I don't know if anyone's ever said it, but I think I, I, was, I was thinking about this when I was driving here. You can't wait on God while you're sitting on your butt. That's not what it looks like. You can't wait on God while you're sitting on your butt, right? That's not what it looks like. You know what waiting on God looks like? It looks like a shortstop. He's ready. Right? He doesn't know what's going to happen, right? They're going to pinch. I don't know what's going to happen. But if it comes to me, I'm getting it. Right? He's ready. He's waiting. And he's not sitting on his butt. He's not on the flat of his feet. He's waiting. Are we waiting like that for God? God, what do you want to say? Your word is God's word. I don't even need to like go out into the jungle and hear some angelic voice. I got it right here to read it every day in the hope that God could just speak to me. And I could just be waiting. Okay, when he, when he speaks to me, I'm doing it. That's what waiting on God looks like. Are we doing that, though? Do we have the confidence that God's word is enough? You know, you know, go to the mentor chief, but it's not the answer. I'm telling that. I'm, I'm, I'm saying, go to the mentor chief. I'm just saying, you know, it's not the answer. But we're going to, pre- uh, Rocky May is going to come and preach the word, and we're going to hear from God. That's what we need. That's why we go to the mentor tree. And perhaps God has revealed himself to you through the word. That's my hope, because anytime you open the word, he can reveal himself to you, just like he did to Paul. And my hope is that maybe God has revealed something to you today. Maybe you came in here with just like a, a list of problems. And you just needed to stamp but God on them. But God, well, tell me how big your problems are. Tell your problems how big God is, right? Maybe that's what we need. Maybe, maybe, maybe we need to get off our tushes. All right, I said but. So, I mean, you're already offended. Get off your butt! <laughs> Maybe you're starting to see that Jesus is Lord. Paul was confronted with this. And when he did, he knew, I can't fight. I know, I, I'm on a crossroads. I'll never be the same after seeing Jesus. It will never be the same once you see Jesus. Either you harden your heart and you walk away. Many do that. Or you give your whole heart to Jesus and go, here I am. I don't know where we're going, but that's okay. I'm with you. And I'm excited. Maybe God's confronted that something in your life doesn't line up with scriptures and you know it. And you've been kind of like, oh yeah, maybe it doesn't mean that. No, it means that. <laughs> and it's a problem. And it's, it's affecting you. Jesus wants to walk you out of it. Repent, man. God is good. Amen. When his word doesn't seem good to you, guess who the problem is? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It happens to me all the time, so I get it. Maybe you've been trying to do the God thing on your own strength. You just need to hear this. Not more effort, more gospel. Not more effort, more at Jesus. So let's respond. When we hear the word of God, the best thing to do is to respond. 
Let's respond to maybe what God said to you specifically. Maybe he's revealed some things to you. Maybe you just, you're just waiting still to hear. Maybe God in worship is going to reveal some things to you. Maybe you need prayer. Go back and get prayer. Sit in your seat. Stand. Sit. Get in position. Be a shortstop. Waiting to hear. But let's respond.